Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever decided to be a bigoted megalomaniac, possibly because of a secret hatred of your mutant college roommate, but then you decide to create a paramilitary hate group? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you kidnap a ward of said college roommate to try to get him to engineer an earthquake that can be blamed on mutants, thus fueling your agenda? But that gets thwarted, so then you make a deal with the demon to provide him with mutant babies in exchange for immortality. Absolutely relatable. So, you're immortal, but you decide to kill your college roommate's girlfriend, but uh uh-oh, he's been changed into a living death machine by yet another immortal being, and he accidentally decapitates you with his living metal wings? Oh, jeez, who hasn't had this happen? But obviously, you can't die, so you eventually bond your still-living head into a living computer and ally yourself with an evil metaphor country. And the problem is you can't disguise your horrifying and inhuman form? Well, say no more because we here at Cardboard Clothes, Inc. have the cutouts you need to remain as respectable as possible while you do nefarious deeds. We provide all manner of cardboard clothes. Formal, informal, even waterproof cardboard swimwear. Check out our outlet store or shop online. Cardboard clothes for when you need to be as creepy as humanly possible with an air of respectability. Next up, let's talk about comics. Yes. I'm Christina Edelman. And I'm Chris Edelman. And this is Chris's On Infinite Earth. The podcast where nothing will ever be the same. Welcome, readers, to part one of three of our coverage of Extinction Agenda. Does it start with an E? No, siree. (laughs) (laughs) We're back, folks. We got slightly delayed, but we're going to bring you some of that. Some of that mutant action. We're back to the X-Men, Chris Claremont's Mm X-Men. So thankful for this event and for all of you readers. (laughs) Oh, it's Thanksgiving week. It's a a thankful time of year. Okay. American Thanksgiving week. We're thankful for Chris Claremont writing some wordy word balloons. Lots of captions. The Wee Simonson also doing some wordy words. Yep. (laughs) I really liked our cold open. <laughs> I'm still giggling about it. <laughs> I love that I know that you told me about your idea for this and that I was like, uh-huh, yes, dear, and pro- and forgot about it. So I opened the script when we went to record and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I know I know exactly what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. I, I can deliver this. I, so I hope I did it justice. You did. It was very, it was very, I think you should leave me. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. like, oh, this is what we're doing. I can do this. Yeah, we're doing, we were, is a riff on the turbo team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cardboard cutouts. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> uh, do we have any, any business to take care of up front? I think we are. Um, one thing to note, readers, we, in, over the summer, our 
host for our episodes uh, switched it and we got imported into a whole new system and we thought we were all good to go. And we had uh, some folks point out that there were some episodes that didn't seem to have make that transfer over and weren't available. And we fixed a lot of those and our host is working on the last couple that we weren't quite able to fix. So if you've been looking for like the original Chris's, it was sad. It was like the first seven episodes were just like gone. Hopefully we can get them back. I, I luckily I backed up the first three. After the first three, I was like, no, we're safe. I don't need to back We were not up. safe. We were not safe readers. So we are told that they have all of the back catalog of all of our episodes. It's just a matter of going through and finding them. So if you were looking for that content, uh, it should be there. The other ones Hopefully. we noticed were like a Spider-Verse one and one uh, the Life Signs episode from Phalanx Covenant. So those are those are on the, there as well. Those are restored. So currently just missing the last four of the original secret wars. So hopefully those will get brought back. Mm -hmm. Otherwise those are just some, some lost, lost episodes that are probably living on somebody's like dead phone somewhere that they downloaded and never deleted. And then they swapped out phones and it's just sitting there. But did they ever listen to it in the first place? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But they're somewhere. So do you think somewhere? out there it's just us staring out the window at the moon and then like our pot like the phone with our podcast logo on it also staring at the moon (laughs) oh all right well are we are we ready to get into that summary sure summary Uncanny X-Men number 270, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Jim Lee, inked by Scott Williams and Art Thibert, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, Lois Buhalis, and Kevin Cunningham, and edited by Bob Harris. As we hear via news report that the relations between the fictional but metaphorical apartheid state Genosha and America are going in the toilet... Storm, who has been changed into a child by Nanny, spars against Jean Grey in the danger room. Storm fights against Jean, but it's clear she isn't quite at full strength. But their workout is interrupted by Cable and the New Mutants barging in to use the danger room. There's clearly some tension between Cable's kids and the other X-Men. Some nerd. Okay, it's a former friend of Dazzler, is looking for her at Lila Cheney's place, but her bodyguard Guido Caracella tells this dude to buzz off because Dazzler isn't there. However, Lila appears via her long-range teleportation, saying Charles Xavier is in danger. Storm and Jean have a chat about their pasts over dinner, where they are being watched by military-looking folks. Afterwards, they go for a walk when Wolfsbane arrives to yell at Storm because Doug Ramsey died. She stalks off mad when suddenly the whole crew of mutants is attacked by Genotians. Pandemonium ensues as the X-Men try to fight them off, only to find out one of the people attacking them is Havoc, who'd been missing for some time. Before the X-Men can do much else, the Genotians kidnap Storm, Wolfsbane, Boom Boom, Richter, and Warlock before teleporting home. Forge and Cable Vow Revenge. New Mutants number 95, written by Louise Simonson, penciled by Rob Liefeld, inked by Joe Rubenstein, colored by Brad Vancata, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Bob Harris. We open on the state of Genosha, where mutants are kept as tools of the state. 
forced to undergo a horrifying process that converts them into obedient slaves. Cameron Hodge is here. He can't die and is now fused to a mech suit, and he decides to taunt them. Warlock is also not with the rest of the crew, and Hodge has some sort of plans for him. Storm and the crew try to break out, but Hodge has a mutate who can negate their powers, so it looks like resistance is futile. Back at the mansion, we get a little recap as Cable brings Gambit and Sunspot up to speed. They don't know Genosha is the country that kidnapped their pal, so they're a little perplexed. Stevie Hunter mentions that she's called X-Factor, and they are en route. The kidnapped mutants are in the new room, wearing the mutate suits, which will eventually be bonded to their skin. Warlock is with them, but his energy has been severely drained. The rest of his pals decide to share their energy with him, but it's to no avail as Hodge comes in with his big mech suit and beats the tar out of them, pilfering Warlock for his own aims. Hodge brings Warlock to the Gene Genier, the man in charge of mutate creation for Genosha. Hodge wants to steal Warlock's shapeshifting powers and thinks the Gene Genier can help him. Boom Boom yells at Storm because, to some extent, Storm wanted to be captured to see what happened to Alex Summers. Warlock is brought back to them and uses some of his remaining life energy to de-electrify the bars of their prison, and the crew breaks out. X-Factor arrives at the mansion and Cyclops notices the plasma burns caused by his brother Havoc. Mid-escape, Rain goes back for Warlock, who is in the process of being annihilated to give Hodge shape-shifting powers. Rain interrupts enough that Hodge doesn't get his wish, but poor Warlock still fades away to nothing. The X-Men happen to be watching the news where Genosian officials are talking about the incident. They show Rain's face, which leads the X-Teams to figure out who stole their friends and ultimately how to get them back. X-Factor 60 Written by Louise Simonson, penciled by John Bogdanov, inked by Al Milgram, colored by Glynis Oliver, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Bob Harris. The Genosian president announces the mutant terrorists will be executed as enemies of the state before going off TV and talking to Hodge, kind of mad that he killed Warlock. Hodge brushes it off as the Gene Engineer enters. The Gene Engineer is not a fan of Hodge and considers him an interloper, but the president reminds the Gene Engineer that they need him for a little bit longer. As X-Factor and Cable meet with government liaison Valerie Cooper, as the U.S.'s official position is neutrality, while their action position is clandestine action. The new mutants load up their ship with armaments, preparing to do what's necessary to grab their pals. Valerie lays out that Genosha is mostly mad that Jenny Ransom, a mutate that the X-Men rescued a while ago, has not been returned. She doesn't suggest returning her, but instead gives X-Factor some information to properly invade Genosha. The whole team lands on Genosha and immediately are met with resistance. Things are looking up for a bit until Alex arrives, seemingly not knowing any of his friends, and why his powers don't affect Cyclops. They beat on each other for a while until the Genosians teleport away. Obviously, Cyclops is pretty beaten up about it. Zing. Boom Boom and Richter try to sneak out through the air ducts and sewers, respectively, while Storm dives into a pile of laundry that is being carted away. And knowing that the enemy sees them coming, Cable and Cyclops plan an all-out assault as Hodge watches on, somehow grinning maniacally. Alright, Christy, what are your thoughts on this agenda? This agenda of extinction. So I feel like I have 
known a lot and heard a lot of different things about Genosha and the different things that it's been. And this is my first run-in with Genosha as it is here in this event, with it being, like, an apartheid state. I'm more familiar with Genosha that Magneto was in charge was of. In charge of. Yes. So the initial appearance of Genosha is in an issue of X-Men mm-hmm. and it is this apartheid state. So it is, this is the way it initially is. Okay. Right. And the whole deal is it, it is supposed to basically be South Africa, except mutants are, are the people who are considered lesser mm-hmm. and they are like, if, if someone, if someone finds out that you're a mutant, like you're tested at like age 13, you are like, you undergo this process that makes you like obedient and you get like the skin suit and it like bonds to your skin and like, you can't take it off. And you get a number tattooed on your head. Yes. And uh, you lose all your memories and you just go by that number. Correct. It is messed up. It's weird in that there are times where I feel like they try to portray the gene engineer as like, kind of like a semi nice guy, but it is very difficult. Right. Like, there's no justifying no. Um, the actions. And the X-Men rescued... I think that she and somebody else escaped and eventually took asylum with the X-Men. It's someone named Jenny Ransom. Mm-hmm. She had this, the whole suit bonded to her. For the longest time, they drew this poor lady with, this, with the, the suit on. And I'm like, does, does she eventually get that off? Oh, yeah. I feel like that would be pretty important. Yes. How do they... When do they go to the bathroom? I, I think they explained that that's like taking care of like Fremen style. Oh, so the waste is just recycled in their suit. Yeah, or something like that. I mean, I'm trying to think about how, how I would feel about that. Like, would you just be able to go just like standing up? I don't in a know. Suit? I have like, no would clue. you feel the wetness or does it immediately get absorbed? I don't know. I'm very fixated on this i couldn't remember if in dune if they have to like catheterize or not ow yeah that's not that's not good long term that causes problems it does i don't think they do i'm trying to remember yeah no i don't know they don't go into it like extensively they're just trying to make it sound dehumanizing so i'm just everybody poops everybody poops i remember jenny ransom asked how she'd be able to have children and they're like, oh, we'll just take your cells and clone you. Or something. Maybe not clone. Maybe it's just they, like, we'll just take your that... cells. Like the Genosians. Okay. It's like, did, did Hank McCoy say that? No. <laughs> Hank's still against Genosha as far as I'm aware. But yes, eventually Genosha becomes a mutant homeland because Magneto uh-huh. takes it over and allows it to be like a refuge place. Mm-hmm. And then it's destroyed. It's destroyed in Grant Morrison's run in like the first issue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is its ugly past. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if Genosha has a lot of good times. <laughs> There's the brief amount of time where it's a mutant homeland, but it is so brief. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> like, to put it in perspective, it was destroyed like in two thousand one, mm-hmm. and it, it, there, there it's been. Okay, it has been fully twenty years since then. So the teams that we've got in this, we've got the new mutants, correct? And the new mutants don't have Ilyana right now because it's after Inferno, right? And Ilyana is just 
a, she was turned ch- into a, a, a child. child, and so she is not a, a new mutant anymore. Where does she go? I think she just goes back to Russia to like live out her childhood. I can't remember, but I think that's what happens. Okay. She eventually dies of the legacy virus. Oh. As like a little child. Okay. Yeah. There's, right. a, there's a lot of there's a lot of like misery in the nineties. And this is like the very early 90s. Okay. So you'll notice that the new mutants ha- are no longer being led by like Professor Xavier. Well, Professor by... Xavier's dead, right? No. And I, I thought kn- they said he was dead. Did they say he was dead? Didn't I th- thought Gene and Storm were talking about it and they were talking about how Professor X isn't isn't here anymore. Yeah, I think he might be in space. What? Yeah, I What's could be What's he wrong. doing in space? I don't know. He goes to space with his bird girlfriend. <sighs> I'm he to abandons them and goes to space with his bird girlfriend? I think he does. Because remember for a while, Magneto was in charge of the New Mutants. And then Magneto's like, I messed this up real bad. And then Cable's like, oh, I'm in charge of the New Mutants. Okay. This is at the very tail end of New Mutants. It will soon become X-Force. Okay, that, yes. Yes. But there is an X-Force. Right Not now. currently. X Factor. X Factor. Okay. And it's I, still the original five before mm-hmm. they become like the government. And this team. is still Wheezy's run on X Factor. Correct. Got it. Okay. And Storm being a child. I, I don't know. Nanny understand. turned her into a child. I like the, how does the, Nanny do that? With Nanny stuff. Nanny's a little you know, she's a little person in an egg. Is suit. this the first time we've seen Nanny do this? And has Nanny done it since? I don't think so. I think this is the only time Nanny's done it. This is like the, this is like the first nanny storyline, mm. nanny the the nanny and orphan maker storyline. I just cannot narratively understand. And she meets up with Gambit. The what is it with bringing child versions of people into things? We had a child version of Storm that was Vampire Storm not too long ago. She was. I think she was supposed to be older than this version. Okay. Well, they're not very good at making clear how old Storm is here. They're just like, I don't know. She's shorter. <laughs> right? <laughs> that, so this is also some um, early Jim Lee stuff. Mm-hmm. We've not seen a ton of Jim Lee. I, I think this might be our first coverage of Jim Lee. Okay. Jim Lee embodies the 90s. Oh, that's why I recognize the name because we've talked a lot about that style. And the X Men, the X Men cartoon, all of those are Jim Lee designs. Mm-hmm. Jim Lee is the artist on X Men Volume Two, Number One, where they finally, for for the longest time, it was Uncanny X Men. Mm-hmm. But even Uncanny X Men started as X Men, and then in 1991 they brought the second title in, and it was just X Men. Mm-hmm. And X Men Number One, they printed so many copies of it. If you if we wanted to tomorrow we could go down to the the only comic like the closest comic book store the one one town over mm-hmm. they would have X Men number one, number one no problems we'd be able to grab one there are there's so many copies of it okay but it it is that was all that was Jim Lee Chris Claremont and it was like it has like a wraparound cover Jim it, it with all the new designs Jim Lee is like he's like the guy and then like very soon after left to help form Image Comics. And now he is a big wig at DC. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of how he got his start, was like drawing on Canny X-Men. All right. Yes. 
And a lot of people like love Jim Lee because they consider his art like really kinetic. Mm-hmm. You can see like you can like because Rob does the old, old old Robert does the middle, and yeah. this is before Rob like really becomes Rob. Right. He still seems like a little normal. Like still still malleable and impressionable and. Right. I feel like <laughs> you can. De- it is hard for me to not compare Jim and Rob because they're so. They kind of came up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think I think Jim looks a lot better. Mm. I mean, but then the third one is like Bogdanov, and I love Bogdanov. Johnny Boggs, love him so much. Mm-hmm. He draws a weird cable, but I love everything else. We had we had a really buff Cyclops in this. Johnny Boggs draws the most like beefcakey Cyclops in that third issue. He and Alex are just beating the crap out of each other, and their clothes are just flying off the whole time. And I'm like, and goodness! And they're very cut. And- <laughs> Very, very yoked. Like, yeah. in both... a way, I feel like Cyclops is never drawn anymore. I'm like, this. you calling this man slim? No. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Buff Summers over here. <laughs> so that's kind of what we're working with. Mm-hmm. We are we are at the twilight of, the, of, of Chris Claremont era. I would say a, where a lot of people have th- feel like it, it, that run is probably past its prime. Mm-hmm. It is the wrap-up of New Mutants. It is very close to the wrap-up of this portion of X-Factor before it gets relaunched under different creative team and with different characters. Mm-hmm. So this is... We're, we're getting to the end of it. And Gambit it, and Storm are partners? Yes, Gambit helped Storm out after she got turned into a kid by Nanny. Okay. And he's just kind of stuck around, if I recall correctly. All right. I, I'm probably butchering this. We probably uh, this is not an era of X Men that I have like a lot of expertise in because I think whatever you tell me is canon and I believe it 100. percent I don't think that this era is is good. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Chris Claremont did not think he would ever leave. Like he was still at this point, he was still like of the opinion that he'd be writing X Men basically like indefinitely. If How I remember you just right, think that because he had been. I guess that's. I guess that's fair. I think at this point he'd been writing X-Men for over 10 years. Wow. <laughs> and I could be wrong. Maybe he was on his way out. But I, if I remember right, like he left very abruptly. He wrote like three issues of that like X-Men volume two no, like thing. And then it was just like gone. Okay. Now, I know we've only got the first three out of, is it nine? There, are, This is a nine part crossover. Nine part crossover so it's just going to be uncanny new mutants x-factor but i feel like i still have so many questions about motivations here like the genosians are basically just mad at the x-men because they 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 took jenny ransom and thus kind of like exposed their process and they like the relations with the u.s are bad but the u.s is kind of cowardly and that they don't want to start anything that seems uncharacteristic yeah, you'd think the U.S. would have already, like... I don't know, but it's a human rights issue, so... Genosha does not have a ton of oil, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. yeah. What sort of resources would the U.S. really need from them? Mutants. No, they got plenty. Right. <laughs> okay. I feel like there was a lot of fixation around Storm closing the hatch and closing the new mutants off from, essentially, the backup when those new when the new mutants and storm are abducted and like I feel like a huge deal is made out of it i 
And I, I'm trying to decide how, if that this is just a point for Storm to question her leadership and decision-making abilities, but I don't know. I, 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 I this seems like it's got to be some sort of reconciliation story between Storm and New Mutants. I don't know why there's so much bad beef there. I actually have no idea. It's like, um, I think the whole deal was when the new, when Doug died, the X-Men were off somewhere and everybody thought that they had died. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was kind of like the, right. The, and the, the new mutants were trying to take up the mantle and, uh, rain especially feels like if the X-Men had been more present and not pretending to be dead, that that wouldn't have happened to Doug. Right. But she just like brings it up at random. Right. I'm like, She's I like, don't know how recent this is. Wow. Nice day for a walk. You know who it'd be cool if, if I could have a walk with who, who I would walk, who I would walk with <laughs> Doug. And I feel like that's exactly how she said that. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she probably says it in, in, a, in, in, a, in, a, in a terrible Scottish accent. Yes. Yes. But, and like, as I was going back and rereading it, I was like, okay, well, storm definitely told the mute new mutants, Hey, we all need to go in the hatch. And the new mutants were like, we're not lit. We don't listen to X-Men. It's we're going to fight them. Mm-hmm. So I maybe don't feel too bad about like Storm closing off the hatch, but it, I feel like it, such a huge deal is made out of it. And every time, why would Storm close this off? Storm closed this off. We could we uh, Cable's like I would have helped my kids, but what your person's I don't know. It just seems like the weirdest thing to have beef over. And I'm like, why was this a decision that's made? Why is the X Mansion all underground? Because the the top part got blown up. Okay. I can't remember how it got blown up. It gets blown up so much. <laughs> and they just, I don't know, we're all in their, in their bathing suits. And then nothing. Nothing at all. When they teleport. Yep. And it's like the weirdest teleportation. I was confused as to why some of them were in their bathing suits, but Storm and Jean looked like they were dressed for fall. They were. They had like jackets and scarves. They were. And it then they was... get to the mansion and everybody's in swimsuits. But like, and they were still in New York. I was so confused. I was like, what time of year is this? We and don't how know. Old are they? We don't know. Does Storm just really like fall? So she makes the climate around her fall. So Yes, Storm <laughs> makes it fall. When you're around Storm, it's always pumpkin spice season. Oh, yes. <laughs> pumpkin spice storm season. Oh, is that a crisp chill? Is Storm around? Do I smell a little bit of cinnamon and nutmeg? Is that Storm? <laughs> is Storm just really into fall? Hard to tell. Storm pumpkin spice goddess. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. It could be Jean just telepathically making them think that it's colder than it is. I just feel like we have some real seasonal dissonance <laughs> in this comic. So it's like they walk through a panel and it's suddenly summer. I don't understand. I had a lot of trouble with that. And I was like, and I would like flip back and I'm like, what? Did they just have them lose their clothes in the teleporting so the artists wouldn't have to understand what was happening with their clothing? Maybe. <laughs> What's wild is Chimley drew both the scenes with the, the fall <laughs> and the scenes in the bathing suits. Do you think the editor was like, 
Jim, Jim, what? And like, oh, but it, I mean, it's too late now. Like, we got to get moving. I just cannot fathom that decision making. Like, if they wanted it to be fall, they, they all could have been up there, like, playing football or something. Like, yeah, but they're all in literal bathing suits. Except for Cable. Do you think Cable's a Trunks guy? No, Cable wears a Speedo. You think Cable wears a Speedo? Absolutely. Do you think he does? Do you think he wears a shirt? Mm, no, but he does have goggles. <laughs> goggles and a Speedo and like a knife in his teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Christy's like, that's exactly it. <laughs> Maybe a snorkel. <laughs> <laughs> when you're diving in the water, visibility is absolutely necessary. To find shells. <laughs> He's just got, like, multiple <laughs> knives just strapped to his legs all the way down. That's how Cable goes swimming. <laughs> I know when he bathes, he just he gets in a big tub with Domino. Same time. Well, yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? If you had the option. <laughs> if, you, if you could get in a tub with Domino, wouldn't you? Yes. I don't know if that question was rhetorical or not, but yes. So uh, we are chugging along here, but I think we have to talk about the death of poor Warlock. Oh, but like, it's all, it, it's always kind of weird reading older issues with these deaths when you're like, okay, but I know it's not forever. Well, and what's interesting is we've read how, when he comes back, because yeah. he is Doug Locke. Doug has no part of Doug Locke. Right. Warlock just sort of took on some Dougishness. Right. Some dugosity. They they taught him how to duggy. <laughs> <laughs> they did. They taught Warlock how to duggy. <laughs> was he self-taught? No, he had some troubles. He just kind of looked like Doug. He was just kind of Warlock with a side part. A self-taught duggy. A <laughs> self-taught duggy. Oh, yeah, so I feel like that did lose a little bit of the impact, but not in terms of just just how good Warlock is. I just feel bad because they gave him their energy and then he got like all like beat up and had to use up a bunch of energy that they'd given him. And did they even manage to give him the energy? I thought they were like interrupted. They gave him some, but then he had to eventually to use it all to unelectrify the, the gate and they didn't have mm-hmm. any. And that's when Hodge grabbed him. Hodge, who in this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, Hodge didn't even grab him. They just decided he was like, no, leave me behind. And they were like, okay. Which I feel like is the least X-Men thing I've ever read. X-Men, leaving you behind. And then Hodge was like, I need shape-shifting powers because I'm just a human head. <laughs> He's like, they couldn't do any better on my body, so... Gonna need He's to use... gross in this. Oh my gosh, just awful. Yeah, pretty, pretty hideous. So... And I remember reading about when we covered Phalanx Covenant, the fact that Hodge had been basically a head on like a spider body beforehand. And I was like, I could not fathom that. And now I have to fathom. What I like is that he, so he has a cardboard cutout of like a body that he puts in front, Mm -hmm. which is weird because like he doesn't only go on TV, really. He's still just talking to people with a cardboard cutout. (laughs) And for the fact that the president is like, why does he do this? It's so weird. But he still has, like, tubes in his face and stuff. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I feel like when you're a cyborg, you just need to embrace it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm also not entirely clear as to why the Genosians super need him other than just his weird his weird mad science. Right. Like they already have the gene engineer. What right. is Haji been doing? I guess we'll besides find out. abducting children. <laughs> they just need someone who has less scruples than them. <laughs> they need a scapegoat. That's probably it, actually. <laughs> it was all this Hodge guy. He did it. Mm. I kind of love Hodge, though, because he is such a good villain and that he is just so hateable. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, I feel like I've read Hodge at so many different points in his continuity, and he's never, like, not hateable. Always hateable. Mm-hmm. He's a, you even read him when he was supposed to be, like, an ostensibly good guy. Because you read some of those early X-Factors. Yes, I did. And I was like, oh, this is that guy that that's real bad. Mm-hmm. But he, he doesn't seem like he's that bad. Oh, no, he is bad. He eventually turns into a robot. Yep. This I, he recently came back in like X Force or something. That means just he's always a robot. Well, he made a deal. <laughs> he's immortal. Yeah. Still. Mm-hmm. Wild. Okay, what if Cameron Hodge went up against Iska the Unbeatable? <sighs> Iska would win. He would just then be a little head at the end or whatever. I don't think her power necessarily means that they die. Mm. She just always wins. But what if winning was cutting his head in half? Ooh, then he'd be Would both halves be alive? I could hope you make so. two Hodges? Could you could you re-Hodge? Would Cameron Hodge have like a Madeline Pryor situation? I don't know. And they would like merge sentience at the end. That that is just like a bizarre editor's note to just read in this. Like, oh yeah, by the way, Gene has all of Maddie's memories now. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, I I understand that this was probably much better explained in a previous issue that we're not reading, but it is a wild editor's note. Well, you read the issue in which that happens. It was an inferno. Okay, yeah. Then it wasn't really that well explained. It just happened. There was like a whole, it was like a whole half an issue. Uh, it's okay if you don't remember. Uh, but yeah, it did happen. <laughs> <laughs> You're like inferno was so long ago. <laughs> Wasn't even born when it came out. I can't remember. We might have been born. Mm. Hmm. Well, there's still a lot more ex- extinction agenda to come. We're gonna f- we will have to find out why Havoc is bad. We'll have to find out what Hodges what Hodges really doing here. Mm-hmm. Is are are the are the kids gonna escape? I mean, of course they're gonna escape. Nope, that's it for them. All right. Well, <laughs> are we ready to get into some accolades? Yeah, let's get into accolades. All right, Christy Rose, what is your best line? Okay, so I'm kind of fudging the best line just a little bit because it's a series of lines. Storm and Jean are having a conversation in Harry's hideaway, and Storm says, remember how deftly Wolverine maneuvered you under Harry's mistletoe? And Jean says, that little terror can kiss. I'll give him that. And Storm says, verily, the best he is at what he does. And Jean says... And then some. Whoa. Like, Is everybody are, kissing Wolverine? Are Storm and Jean talking about what a good kisser Wolverine is? Yes. Has Storm also kissed Wolverine? It's entirely possible. I'm like, this is a fun energy here. I'm digging it. I, I, it just seems I really do enjoy the best he is at what he does. And then some. And then some. 
Whereas just, Wolverine generally says, I'm the best there is at what I do, but what I do isn't very nice. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So my greatest line comes from Guido Caracella, the f- the future strong guy. I love Guido. I know you do. So much. He says, Freddie, you was a nice kid before. Now you got a seriously terminal attitude. Fact is, the lady didn't want your help or ask for it. I love this. Terminal attitude is great. <laughs> but this guy is coming because he's like, just wants Dazzler to like make a movie with him. And Guido is like, you need to get out. Right? This guy was from the Dazzler solo series. There was a Dazzler solo series. Oh, oh. Then Strong Guy picks up his car and just walks <laughs> off with it. It rules. Like he throws the dude in his car, picks his car up, and just walks off. It's so good. Yeah. Okay. What about the greatest hero? It, it's got to be Warlock, right? I didn't call Warlock, but I want—I I understand why you did. Okay. Well, Warlock like willingly sacrificed himself at every turn for his friends. He did, which I felt was pretty heroic. Correct. So, who did you pick for the greatest hero? I picked Storm because I think she's she's actually got a really good plan here. Mm. And I think sometimes uh, being a hero means doing what you think is right, even when everybody else thinks you're being dumb. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. I I don't think I would pick that even hearing your logic, because I don't feel like we've seen the payoff of Storm's plan. And I wasn't quite sure if we were going to see Storm kind of laid a little low here, like oh. getting some self-doubt. So... I'm kind of reserving my judgment on for where that might go. Fair, fair. Mm-hmm. What about your coolest moment? Mine is the Cyclops Havoc fight. We got a daily double. Hit it, Matt D. Wilson. Uh, I just think Bogdanov does an amazing job. Just The art is stellar. Yeah, and they're I, just beating the heck out of each other. Things just, are exploding. I love the layouts on this page right here where they got their shirts off and they're just beating each other up. There's like some cool synergy, but also like it really like directs your eyes. It's really well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Bogdanov. I just think he's great. He did that X-Men Fantastic Four mini where he can actually, where he's like, look, I can draw a child. Love that. <laughs> Love that in an artist. Nobody can. It's Johnny Boggs and nobody else. Okay. Well, we have a lot, a lot of silly villainy in these three issues. But what did you give your Crusher Creel Award for silly villainy to? Mine had to go to Cameron Hodges' cardboard cutout. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And that might have been mine, but I... I specifically gave mine to the fact that Cameron Hodge created a teleporter that couldn't teleport people's clothing. That is wild. <laughs> or or their weapons. So they go out with these really fancy, expan- expensive weapons. I don't know how they get there, but they just teleport back and leave them behind. Yeah. It is bizarre like, yeah, and very silly. It is very silly because they're like, well, there's all this stuff. <laughs> And a bunch of naked soldiers just show up. Yeah, like, how is that useful? Didn't they come in, like, a tank that they had to leave behind? Right? <laughs> it was very silly. That is very silly. Mm. Okay, readers. Our next accolade is the Key of C accolade, which we give to a moment that we feel could be enhanced or best represented in a musical number. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Rain's grief 
needed its own song because uh-huh. we see that a lot throughout the issues. And I feel like she had a lot of emotions to work through that she could have done so in song form. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I took a bit of a different take. There's a, a quite a bit of one of the issues, I believe it's X Factor, that is told in like news by like the news crew. Oh, yes. There's a decent amount. Maybe that's New Mutants. I think there would have been a fun news crew number. I I enjoy that. That's mm. always the fun way to get a lot of, not necessarily expository information, but a, a lot of information across quite quickly with some fun personalities. For some reason, I I'm either I'm I'm torn between making it like the 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 press conference from Chicago. Oh, yep. Where it, like he's doing like the, the, the marionette, yeah. Mm-hmm. Versus the uh, Don Henley song "Dirty Laundry," which is just about how the news only likes to <laughs> talk about like people like blowing up and stuff. Man, speaking about awful stuff in the news, Boom Boom's dad. We didn't talk about that. Oh, how he's just like I don't care. He's a piece of crap. Yeah, he sucks. Holy she's cow. like a, she's like. Her origin is like an orphan that is just like, like I I'm doing great here. I do not want to go back home. I love Boom Boom. <laughs> She's very good. It only further endears me to her. Mm-hmm. Okay, next accolade. I will go down with this ship, either platonic or romantic, any kind of ship, and I am shipping the the friendship we hear see here between storm and gene yeah they have a lovely friendship that i feel like is mostly it's odd because when they were on the same team together i feel like they didn't actually talk that much right. so a lot of it is retroactively like hey we're, we're good friends but somehow they make it work yeah yeah mm-hmm. my down with this ship is the bro the bro down between cyclops and heaven oh oh where uh, Scott's trying to get Alex to remember. He's like, we fought like this all the time when we were kids. And yeah. He Alex also is... like calls him dumb a bunch, I think. <laughs> and grabs his ears in like a way that definitely seems like a little kid fight. Yeah. Or like young teen. They they, are, they they scrap in a way that in a way that siblings scrap. Yeah. Yeah. It's it is endearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hope uh, Havoc is able to come back to his senses. I've never read any comics after this, so it'll be <laughs> Uh, all right and our last accolade is the goodest hit please tell me chris which hit was the goodest i think the goodest hit was there is a bit in the cyclops i sorry i keep going back to the cyclops and havoc fight yeah it's like it's probably my favorite part of these three issues it was really good it was your coolest moment it involved your I will go down with this ship. So, but there's this bit, and I'm going to show it to you, where Cyclops hits Havoc with his with his optic blast, and even though we know it doesn't actually hurt Havoc, there's like a pizzat, and he like goes like flying back, and it looks mm-hmm. like his. This, this is a bit of his clothes being torn up. I because... love it because their their blasts can't physically hurt the other person, but they can tear off their clothes. Oh, you love that? Yes. <laughs> So my goodest hit goes uh, to when Rain is captured and depowered, but decides she is going to go back for Warlock anyway. And it's like, you know what? Cable's trained me really well. One of the, the guards is taunting Rain and says, nice move, Jean joke, but against guns, it ain't spit. 
and then she kicks him right in the face and knocks him over and there's a nice little whacked and i was like yeah yeah the 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 slurs against mutants are always wild to me like gene joke that's a big one right i was like oh we're not we're not to muty yet no muty's a later one mm-hmm. i particularly like the mutant slur for humans which is flat scan yeah that's a pretty good one oh. i said <laughs> good slurs the the, the fl- flat scan is such a good insult it, yeah mm-hmm. i i enjoy a silly fictional fictional way to mean thing mm-hmm. to call people yeah but three issues not i mean stuff happens i feel like the most character development we really get is maybe like that that storm gene interaction yeah and otherwise this is just one of those events where there's so much and so many people happening it's very much focused on what is happening and not necessarily character driven yes so sorry we started this podcast a thing where this happens all the time (laughs) well we'll see i'm i'm interested to see where it goes what form will cameron hatch's body have by the end of it maybe he'll just be goop will there be kissing we had one kiss rain and richter didn't know that that was a thing Short-lived. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's another kiss between Opal and Bobby. Yes. And was Baby Cable there? Yeah, Baby Baby Cable. Baby has, Nathan Christopher. Has he not been sent to the future yet? Maybe he hasn't. I, I don't know. Scott was holding a kid, so unless Scott has another kid <laughs> that I don't know about. That's interesting. Because this is before Cable has been revealed to be baby nathan christopher i don't actually even think cable was supposed to be nathan christopher at this point yeah it's a later thing very interesting all right well readers thanks for joining us this week yeah uh if you want to uh, follow us online you can follow us at twitter or facebook at chris's pod you can email us at chris's on infinite earths at gmail.com if you're interested in supporting us monetarily, you can do so at Patreon or Kofi. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Note, Patreon seems to be flirting with the idea of NFTs. If Patreon takes on NFTs, I will close the Patreon. Mm-hmm. If you need any information about the environmental impacts of NFTs, there are lots of resources online. Please do not talk to me about why they're still good. You will not convince me. And if... You want to support us but can't do so monetarily, you can head on over to iTunes, give us one of those five-star reviews. We'd love to read out your review on the show. Uh, or just recommend us to a friend. Tweet about us. All those things are great. We Lovely, love them. Wonderful. Good. And until next time, readers. Slay your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. <laughs>